0: This week, Radio Drama Revival is 10 years old. Holy crap. We've got a special message from Fred commemorating the anniversary. We're going to play an episode of Ryan Estrada's glorious heist catastrophe, Big Data, and later I'll get to talk to Ryan, a comics artist who made the brave leap to the world of audio drama. The world is hot garbage, but audio fiction endures. I love you all. Let's do this thing. This is Radio Drama Revival. Hey everyone, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and I am sick, which accounts for the ragged, uncanny quality my voice has taken on. If it bothers you, I'm very sorry. We are ten years old as of January 22nd, 2017, but I'ma call it early and say, yeah, hell yeah, today is our tenth anniversary of existence. Apparently, the traditional gift for the 10th anniversary is tin, so uh, please mail your empty tin cans to Donald J. Trump, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest, Washington, D.C., 20006. However, the modern gift for the 10th anniversary is diamonds. So, if you are so inclined, see if you can shove a diamond into PayPal or something. That link's on the website, radiodramarevival.com. Now, before we go any further, we've got some news! We're going to be introducing our From the Vault segment more regularly. You'll be getting this show once a week instead of every other week, and you'll hear Fred's favorite pieces collected from a decade of radio drama revival. Fred put together his thoughts on a decade's worth of RDR and how From the Vault is going to work in this short clip. Take
1: it away, Fred. Hey everybody, it's Fred here. Uh, glad to be back, um, if only for a little bit here. Um, I'm here to make a sort of special announcement first. Uh, I just want to mark our anniversary, 10 years of Radio Drum Revival, almost 450 shows and several hundred audio artists uh, featured over the years and something close to 500 hours of material. So. Uh, what uh, journey it has been if we had a little bit more time we would have spent, done a little bit more retrospective and uh, sort of like analyzed and, and sort of like looked at some interesting stats and, and number of interviews and things like that. But I'd say generally uh, I'm really quite amazed at how far we've gotten. You know, this show was started because at the, at the time in uh, mid-2000s, It really seemed like there weren't any places to go out and really put out your work and get your work heard. If you're producing radio drama um, podcasts, it was still sort of the, the, I would call it the end of the early day of podcasting, Um, and uh, it was sort of, you know, if you're a new artist, where did you go to get your stuff heard? Um, Now, so much has happened. Uh, You know, iTunes has become quite a force in the industry. Um, uh, Seems like scripted drama is no longer a secret, uh, which is wonderful. Um, There's all, all sorts of new shows happening, both... Uh, independent artists and then also some, uh, you know, Hollywood and uh, entertainment industry and other radio folks really waking up to the possibilities of uh, original fiction, which is tremendously exciting, but I also hope people remember um, all the little tough uh, persnickety people in radio stations, uh, underground basements, um, you know, aloft studios over the years uh, who kind of kept the torch going um, between the sort of the, the death of old-time radio, the continuation of a little spark of radio drama in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and the early days of Real Player, and then now, uh, I think is in fact a, a bona fide radio drama Oh, Revival! (laughs) That's the name of the show. Cool. Uh, I guess it worked out. So, uh, thanks everybody. Uh, Thank you to David for carrying on the torch, and also a big thank you to all the collaborators this year, uh, in particular Matthew and Monique Boudreau. Matthew and Monique came on to help with submissions uh, prior to David leaving, and have always been a source of uh, inspiration and perspiration uh, to help uh, keep things going. Um, They helped this year with uh, editing and research on episodes as well. Heather J. Cohen also helped with a lot of research on episodes this year, as well as Eli McElveen, who, in addition to his uh, Daring Do and other uh, secret uh, spy life up in Canada has been helping him with edit some episodes as well. As sort of a little celebration of uh, our anniversary, I will be launching a new sort of companion show with Radio Drum Revival called RDR from the Vault. Um, so on right now, you know, if you've noticed, Radio Drum Revival has become a bi-weekly show. Well, those middle-week episodes, we're going to start filling with uh, shows from Radio Room Revival's past. um, And starting this uh, next week, uh, the week after the show's going to launch... Uh, with a piece from Tom Lopez, The Secrets of the Crystal Maidens. Um, and actually, that's not a show we've played on here before, but I wanted to feature that one in particular because uh, I am jetting off. But as soon as I finish recording this, I am uh, going to start a journey to Belize. We'll be down there for a few weeks for uh, personal vacation reasons, but also we'll be recording fun sounds while I'm there. And uh was, of course, inspired by the great grand elder, of contemporary audio drama, Tom Lopez, who has done many of that, and of the many countries Tom has recorded, uh, Belize was among them. And the Secrets of the Crystal Maidens is a story set in Belize, so I thought that was a little bit timely. So that'll be uh, there'll be three episodes of that that'll be airing over six weeks because you're going to get one every other week. Make it sense. Cool. Um, so parting words, so congratulations, Radio Drama Revival, so proud of everybody. Also want to uh, sort of uh, nod to all the other uh, anniversaries in the Radio Drama Revival community. Uh, Sonic Society hit their 500th episode. He they still, they still got me pretty spanked there. Uh, Jack Ward, um, Jack was one of the very first people who uh, kind of uh, nudged me along and uh, gave me encouragement to keep on going and... Um, Really grateful for that, because who knows if Radio and Revival would have come to exist without uh, that encouragement early in the day and have been uh, good friends uh, since then. And as well, the the folks over at the Audio Drama Production Podcast hit their 100th episode very recently, and uh, Wondery, just a, a little you know more recently, Wondery, uh, the network who we joined last spring, also turned a year. So a lot of milestones in the audio drama community, and I'll send it back to you, David. Thanks, Fred. Yeah, a lot of milestones going on this year. I'm
0: so glad to have met so many wonderful, talented people. One of the people I couldn't believe I got to meet was Ryan Estrada, a web cartoonist who's been in the game a long time. When he first announced the Big Data Project, I was crazy excited. Because, okay, it's a heist story about seven thieves who steal the internet through artifice, guile, dirty tricks, and good old-fashioned skullduggery. And it's about the reporters who try to track down the mastermind behind the heist, and an FBI agent who's hot on their tail. And it also has all of my favorite audio drama people in it, not to mention Felicia Day, Jermaine Clement, Sam Levine, Kevin Allison, Cecil Baldwin, and the king of podcasts himself, Paul F. Tompkins. So that's a fun game. While you're listening to Big Data, see how many audio drama people you can identify. Many of them have appeared on this program before. Now add to all that the fact that this is a truly international production. Ryan lives in Busan, South Korea, and this production has actors from Korea, South Africa, the UK, Canada, the US, New Zealand, and many other places besides. Big Data is glorious chaos. The script knows what it's doing, but the characters frequently don't. It's all by design, and in that same chaotic spirit, I'm going to drop you straight into episode two. So here's the story so far. Dallas Spieler, a reporter, receives a mysterious thumb drive that contains recordings of real-time heists, but also contains a piece of spyware, surveillance spyware, the same virus that captured the recordings of the heists in the first place. Dallas and her producer Mike, played by Ryan, endeavor to figure out who's behind it all. But in order to do that, they're going to need a computer that won't give away their location to the master hacker. Before any of that, though, let's see what's on the news in the greater Boston area.
2: Thank you for tuning in to 7 News Boston. We've just received a breaking update regarding the state of the internet. We've received reports of a guerrilla journalist named Doll Spider. Doll Spider has obtained exclusive audio footage of a criminal plot to critically sabotage the internet. Footage that she will be releasing via her podcast. For details, we are talking live with Chuck Octagon in Copley Square outside the Boston Public Library. Chuck... Do we have any details yet on what a podcast is?
3: Thank you, Rod. A podcast is like a radio show created by poor people. When asked about the threat to the internet, this so-called Dallas spider claims she's uncovered, most Boston residents brush it off as hogwash, malarkey, and a bunch of F&Bs. That said... Seven News can confirm that seven keys to the Internet are actually required to keep it running, and that all seven of those keys have recently been stolen. If the person who has stolen the keys decides to shut down the Internet, they certainly would have the power to do so. But what kind of monster would do that? When we asked Greater Boston residents what kind of person it would take to destroy the Internet, the responses we received were a freaking weirdo, a Yankee fan, a Yankee player, some jackhole from New York, and please leave me alone, I'm busy updating Mitomo.
2: Now, what do we know about this Dooley Spider? Is she some sort of cybernet hacker like Sandra Bullock in the net? And if so, what color hat does she wear?
3: Little is known about this Spider-Woman because, again, she has a podcast, which is at least several rungs below being on the radio. You know how they say people have a face for radio? Well, imagine having a face for podcasts. That has to be like having no face at all. Less Sandra Bullock in the net, more Dennis Miller in the net. And since she has an extensive knowledge of this internet business, it's safe to assume she is an internet cyber hacker, whom we're told exclusively wear black hats to alert others to their criminal online behavior. This all according to several incredibly informed people on the website, uh, Read It.
2: Rod? I see. That does sound serious. And did the Read It have anything to say about Dennis Spiderwoman's claims regarding the fate of the internet keys?
3: Nothing we're legally allowed to repeat on air, Rod. The language is crude, offensive, and in most cases, really, really dumb.
2: Thank you, Chuck, for that update on the internet key theft. We'll have more on this breaking story as events transpire. Coming up next on New 7 Boston, will leaf peeping season come early this year? Stay tuned for the live foliage report.
4: Thank you for calling Radio Shack. This is Greg speaking. I'm calling
5: about a computer that doesn't connect to the internet.
4: Okay, can you tell me what lights appear on the router? No,
5: I'm not calling to fix a computer that doesn't connect to the internet. I'm calling to buy one.
4: You want to buy a broken computer?
5: Not a broken computer, just a computer that doesn't connect to the
4: internet. Well, <laughs> lady, we barely sell refrigerators that don't connect to the internet. And no camera or microphone. I- I'm confused. Were you looking for an antique store?
5: Nothing that can transmit any information in or out.
6: Transmitting information is what computers do. We, uh, we actually need a USB port and an audio out jack. Okay, you know that both of
4: those things transmit information. Just those, though. Nothing else. I'm sorry, we don't sell Univax, although that was just a big calculator. Do you need a calculator? I can get you a calculator for like a dollar.
6: Uh, we need an air-gapped computer that has never and will never connect to a network in order to read the top-secret illegally obtained crime recordings on a mysterious USB drive without exposing ourselves to retaliatory attacks.
5: It's to fight hackers. And,
6: and edit a podcast. Okay, then I'll set you up.
7: If seven thieves steal seven keys, the internet as we know it could come to an end. Now, two reporters will use what little connection they have left to figure out what happened, what comes next, who started it, and how to stop them.
5: Welcome back. I'm Dal Spieler. Yesterday, hackers all over the world began a plan to bring down the internet. A surveillance virus recorded each of the crimes in progress,
4: and we have the audio. Oh, hold on. Are you are you doing a show right now? Yeah, um,
6: yeah we're, we're here.
4: You're doing a show right now on a computer. But we've since
5: learned that the perpetrators of this crime are more widespread and dangerous than we previously imagined, and they're after us.
7: This is Big Data.
5: Last time... We brought you the audio from one of the heists that led to this situation. And today, we have another shocking piece of audio. With a single phone call, the criminals were able to cause a billion dollars in damage and prove that even the human body is not safe from hackers. The drive that contains the recordings of the crimes also includes the virus that created them, which means we can't report the story without being tracked by the criminals we're chasing. They already brought down the entire radio station we used to work for. We tried to set up our own studio at my producer Mike's place with the Wi-Fi disabled, but the virus was able to override the settings. We had to burn it. I don't
6: think we actually had to burn it. Sounds like you could have maybe turned it off.
5: But Mike has discovered a way to hack the hackers.
6: Uh, that's 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 not actually my plan at all. Uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to set up a relay machine with no Wi-Fi card, just to sort through the files and contain the virus and then we're going to export the audio through this basic audio cable to Safely broadcast it. So were you going to come in and pick up the computer or... Um, actually, could you bring it to us? I'm sorry.
5: The hackers were up against have eyes everywhere.
6: We're parked out front in the, the red Arrow Star.
4: Uh, am I correct that you are broadcasting this entire conversation to the world? Is that correct?
6: Yeah, actually, I, yeah, I, I think I might as well just go into
4: I'm going to hang up now. Please do let me know if you have any other questions.
5: There's another reason we're on high alert. And that's the reaction to the story. When I received this anonymous package with the data, I rushed to be the first to break the story. I wanted to get the facts out there before the flood of competing reports from other news outlets who received the same package. And not too long after the show went live, that flood hit. But something was off.
2: Breaking news.
7: Breaking news?
5: Breaking news.
0: Breaking news out of America.
5: Internet is still surprinzătoare. Is your computer safe? You'll click unlike when you find out what action news that 8 on 8 has uncovered.
2: Please excuse this sudden emergency broadcast, shareholders. This just in
6: over the truth phone.
5: Hackers all over the world are after something. Could it be your family?
6: An anonymous whistleblower has shared with these podcasters evidence that... The keys to
1: the goddamn interwebs, 7... I said seven. Keys to the internet have been
7: stolen. stolen.
5: And it could lead to the
7: massive worldwide plan to shut down the
5: internet. This is bad news for you, Diane. I know you can't start your day without a heaping helping of cat
7: videos.
6: <laughs> the new online radio show, Big Data, claims that
7: criminals from all over the world are trying to shut
6: down the internet. The seven trusted representatives that the internet protectors, ICANN, long
0: thought to be our best hope to keep it safe, have now turned into its greatest weakness and officials
7: around the globe have found themselves under attack by terrorists who are planning to turn our own internet against us.
6: The literal keys to the internet may now be in the wrong hands.
7: Panică mai mare decât cea creată the Y2K. This
6: could lead to the end of the information age. As
7: we know it, this could be the beginning of Skynet.
0: And a return to a time of post offices, libraries,
6: and an inevitable
7: tech-ruled dystopian hellscape.
6: ICANN representative Bill Denton responded to Spieler's report at a press conference this afternoon. Mm, excuse
7: me. Several of our employees have been attacked and or targeted. They could be watching you right? Now. There is precious little I can share at this time. Inside your phones, your computers, your cars. I have it from a trusted source who has
0: been tapping into the Pentagon feeds that the CIA is hot on the trail of one Dallas Spieler. Dale Spigler.
1: Reporter Dallas Spieler. Dallas Spieler.
0: Dallas Speer.
7: Dale Spielkid. That name has false flag written all over
0: it. The American journalist Dale
7: Spigler is hoarding a massive collection of audio records.
0: Cultural and religious leaders have condemned Spiegler's actions. We
6: don't know who these criminals are. We don't know what they're planning.
1: Does that mean they're going to stop me from downloading porn on these two-minute commercial breaks? But Dallas Spieler promises to show us how. Who
8: is it
7: that we can be attacked by terrorists and our commander-in-chief is so out of the loop? That some weirdo on the internet knows about it before he does. A certain dual S. Spieler... ...is
5: the only one with these recordings, so we have very little information to share.
1: Or do we? The truth is, we don't know what we're up against, and we'd love to see this evidence that Dallas Spieler has.
8: Questions are coming from all around the world as people ask,
0: what else?
6: Spiegler is hiding. We're all waiting anxiously to hear what big data reveals next.
1: But first... Today's weather with Joni.
5: As I anticipated, the story was all over the news. But they weren't reporting the story. They were reporting that I was reporting the story. That means we weren't just the first to report on the data dump, we were the only ones to get it. I don't know why we were chosen, but I do know one thing. We have information about what's happening, and we're the only ones who can bring it to you. Mike, what have we got?
6: A lot of data. okay okay so this is a lot of data it's a hundreds of hours of audio um and most of it is absolutely useless there's room tone and silence muffled voices it sounds like a, a pocket dial just random snippets mm. and stuff uh, it seems like someone was monitoring all the targets with the same spyware that we were attacked with and and I guess the, just like at the station, it just spread to every computer that they came in contact with, like hmm. whether they were syncing their phones to their laptop or connecting to a network or using Starbucks Wi-Fi. So much to make sure that no matter where the target went, there was a microphone recording everything that they said or did. I guess some people just got caught in the crossfire. Hmm. And it, that's good for us because it means that all the clues we need are most likely somewhere on this drive, but it also means that... For every one good recording, there are like hundreds of completely useless ones that I have to sort through. So it's going to suck, kind of.
5: And while Mike works on that, it's been my job to find out everything we can about this mysterious ICANN. Is,
6: is, is it seriously where you are right now? They have a website. They have Wikipedia.
5: Okay. Who are they? How did they get so much control over the Internet? How did there come to be seven keys that control the web... During the break, I hit the phones to find an answer to those questions.
2: Thank you for calling ICANN.
5: Hi, this is Dallas Spieler from the podcast. Our
2: office is now closed. Press 1 for Los Angeles. Press 2 for Washington, D.C. Press 3 for Brussels. Press 4 for Istanbul. Press 5 for Singapore. Thank you. You have reached the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers Service Center line.
5: Hi, this is Dal Spieller. I'm, I'm calling from the... We are the-
2: currently closed.
6: I'm Dal, honey. i I can't tell you Hello. This is Dal Spieller. I'm from the Thank
5: podcast... Thank
6: you for calling. I can't tell you Please leave a message after the tone.
2: Grabe su mensaje después de oír el tono. Cuando haya terminado, cuelgue...
5: Uh, hola uh uh me uh uh dal spieler uh, hmm.
3: Actualmente, el centro de servicio está cerrado.
5: hang up or press the hash key hi this is dal spieler <laughs> yes we are i'm currently closed radio shack what is i can deal? excuse me this is dal spieler from the podcast big data you asked me to call if I had any questions about— The
4: woman who's sitting outside my window in a creepy van staring at me with a phone to her ear? Yeah, I got that. Did you have a problem with the computer, or—what or, what, what was your question?
5: My question is, I can. What's their whole deal? I can. I mean, I know, obviously, they're the Internet Coalition of Assigned Names and Numbers, but, like, what do they do, and what's with their keys and stuff?
4: It's International Corporation, and—okay, uh, picture an old black-and-white movie. Someone's making a phone call, so they ask the operator to connect them, and she has to physically plug a cable in to connect the two lines. Got it. That's basically what ICANN does. You want to go to cats.com, so you type that in your browser. That request goes to ICANN. They look up in their little phone book the actual IP address of the server cats.com is stored on, and you get connected. It's all invisible, automated, and done in milliseconds. No okay, so what's with the keys? Oh, okay, so now that they were basically tasked with keeping this massive global network from descending into chaos, they decided they needed to make sure that no one person or country had too much control over the internet. So they made seven keys and chose seven different key holders from seven different parts of the world. None of them can do anything to the internet without the other.
5: The keys to the internet.
4: Yeah. Each of the key holders is some kind of an expert on information technology. Every few months, they meet up and have a key signing ceremony where they use those keys to essentially reset all the passwords and keep the internet running smoothly. This is a real thing? This is a real thing. So
5: all it would take to shut down the internet
4: is those seven keys? Well, it technically only takes three of them, but it's kind of the best security system on the planet. I mean, the keys are hemispheres apart. And even if you could get them all, the safes those keys open, which are already behind hundreds of layers of security, including guards, retinal scanners, hand scanners, passwords, vault doors, cages, earthquake sensors, would be locked down even tighter. I mean, if you did manage to get past all that, they have backups and backups of their backups.
5: So what would happen if someone did pull it off?
4: Well, then I guess, hypothetically, they could get access to the root key. Root? key? That's basically the master password to the internet, even though it's making me physically uncomfortable to simplify it that much.
5: What can they do with that password?
4: Well, picture that operator sitting in front of all those wires again. And imagine someone broke into that room. If they were trolls, they could just push her out of her chair and start ripping cords out of the wall entirely to just break everything. If they were malicious, they could sneak in and reroute traffic suddenly. Maybe redirect a bunch of banking websites to their own copies and siphon off the financial info of a few million people per second. But if terrorists or some evil dictator got their hands on it, there's really no telling what havoc they could wreak.
5: Okay. So what you're saying is if someone gets their hands on those keys, it could have disastrous effects on the internet as we know it. And the only way to find out what those effects are is to figure out who did it and what their motivations are. Cool. Thanks. You've been a huge
4: help. Are you going to be out there for a while? Just
5: until the show's done. We're using your Wi-Fi to broadcast.
4: Well, all right then. If you have any questions about the computer I sold you, please do let me know.
5: That's a great idea. Stay on the
6: line. Why don't we take a break and we'll be right back with that clip. Yay!
8: rocks like ancient tomes, he could play broken telephone, till the oceans rise, till the kraken comes and Cthulhu waits, and letters and words melt into pools. homes, homophones and phony homes. We could play
3: broken
8: telephone.
5: Okay. Now we have another heist to play for you. But while Mike was finding it, he discovered something fascinating. Mike?
6: Oh, oh yeah. Um I was looking at the, the metadata.
5: Mike found a way to hack into the data within the data.
6: Oh, I, I had- and, I, uh,
5: the and then there was a whole new world of information to peruse. Well,
6: that's the thing; there wasn't because all the data was exactly the exact same thing.
5: And what does that mean?
6: Well, each uh, each recording you began and so ended so at the yeah. Yeah. at the exact same second. And you know, these people are all in different countries and different time zones, but they were synchronized right down to the millisecond. And you know, the devices they were recording on were all over the place, but they knew exactly where and when to target. So the, this isn't. Just a bunch of random recordings from like some paranoid security system. Like these people knew exactly what was going on and where it was happening and who was doing it.
5: But this means that all of these crimes happened at the same time.
6: Well, think about it. That's how you do it, right? I mean, if you wanted to steal seven keys from seven people, you don't just go to the first guy or he's going to call the other six people. So you got to get seven partners and you all hit the same time. Boom.
5: Wow. So whatever happened already happened.
6: Yeah, and one of those things happened uh, at 4 p.m. local time in Kitchener, Ontario, to Canada's trusted representative, Abby Hanlon. Do you want to go ahead and set up the next clip? Got it. When
5: the key heist began, Abby Hanlon and her business partner June were expecting a very important phone call. But the call that came was not quite what they expected. A billion-dollar business meeting turned quickly to blackmail in a story we call
8: Relay. Is it Newberry? It's got to be Newberry. Okay, a billion dollars, baby. Yeah, uh, we don't know that yet. No, don't give me that attitude, bro. You got this, bro. You got so do you this. Want, do you want me to talk first, or? Oh God, no, 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 no. I mean, you've got this and everything, but but please, let me do all of the talking. Hello. Uh, I, I mean, Hanlon Software. Uh, I mean, Han- Hanlon Software. This is Abby Hanlon speaking. Hello. This is
9: a Speakeasy Telecommunications Relay Call. Who is, uh, who is this? This is Relay Agent Three Seven Nine Two Seven. Have you received a relay call no, before? No, 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 It's a scam. It's a scam. Just hang up. Just hang up. Uh, uh, uh. The the person calling is deaf or hard of hearing. Hang the up. caller will type their conversation, and I'll read it to you. It's when you standing. hear, go ahead. Please speak directly to the caller, and I'll type your message. Say go ahead when you are ready for a response. Not Hold not, on a hang moment up, for hang your up, call hang to hang begin.
8: Up, no, 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 I'm not hanging up. What if it's Newberry? Why, new... to... why would Why would Newberry make a relay call? He's not deaf. Well, I'm
9: not hanging up on a deaf guy.
10: Hello, Abby. Know.
9: Hello, June. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. This is not Newberry. You have 180 seconds until he calls. And with your help, I'll be very brief. Go ahead. Who the hell is uh, this? Don't, don't say that part. Uh. We, uh, who are you? Uh, we weren't expecting any... I guess that proves that you don't know who I am, and that you weren't expecting any of this, which is a real problem for you. One you probably want to work out before you talk to Newberry.
8: Okay. Go ahead. Okay, look, look, I don't know, I don't know who you are, but can we just talk after we've already talked with our scheduled meeting? Yeah, uh... Go ahead. Go ahead. Stop doing that. Uh, he's... he's...
9: sorry. He's not typing anything. Well, have him type something.
10: Jun.
8: Jun, 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 Let me see your hands. What? Why do you want to see my hands? I mean, I just got a Skype message from you. Well, I didn't send and, anything. And, and Twitter and Facebook and Kakao, it says, you're gonna want to hear this. Uh, and it says, go ahead. Okay. Are you
9: done with your temper tantrum? I can see you're a little too distracted to take this seriously right now. What? Even though you have a minute and 15 seconds until Newberry calls, and he is never anything but punctual. But you're not going to be able to focus until your greedy little brains find out what it is he's offering you for your company. What? Spoiler alert, he's offering 900 million Uh-oh. with the stipulation that uh, Abby stays on as COO.
8: Obviously.
9: He was originally going to give the full billion you were hoping for. It's cleaner, it looks better on the headlines. But he was pissed when you canceled oh, your last what? meeting and Did knocked it mean? down out of spite. Go no, ahead. No, we didn't cancel our last meeting.
10: He's the one that rescheduled. That's, uh, go ahead. Stop yeah, saying.
9: I asked him to. Fr- from your email, he That's... didn't like the tone. Oh, God. <sighs> it's in the outbox. Someone's in my email. But... If I get in touch with him again, you're going to lose a lot more than a zero at the end of an v- already very large number. Are you kidding me? If he finds out that the information security company he is about to spend nearly a billion dollars on has had someone in their system for the last six months, creating a backup of all the personal information of every one of their customers, oh God. he might be displeased, oh God, oh God. especially since he is one of your customers. Oh God, By oh the God. way, oh that's who I am. I'm the one who did all that. You probably should have known that.
8: What? Okay, okay. I see. I see what you're doing here. Aren't you just taking this relay scam thing just to step you up? Yeah, see, seriously. What What the heck is a relay scam? Uh, a relay call is... It's like... A relay call is when a deaf person calls this center, and then and then this woman has to translate everything that he says, but there's no verification of who's using it, so... And criminals, they they heard that there was a free service that anonymized their voice to keep no records. They latched onto it. And now this, this asshole is using the fact that this poor woman who's trying to do a community service, by the way, has to repeat whatever they type and not keep any records to force her to blackmail us on their behalf. I assume your call waiting
9: is going off now? That's Newberry. He does not like to be kept waiting. Would you like to know my terms? Go ahead.
8: Go ahead.
9: Cool. A bike messenger will arrive at your office any second now. He's been prepaid with your corporate card. He's got our banking information. Give him your ICANN key. I will disconnect, erase all of the data. Newberry will never know I existed. And you can get back to your business call. Refuse or hang up, and everything gets posted on the front page of what used to be Newberry's site. What? You have a few seconds to decide. Go ahead.
8: My, my ICANN key? What the hell? What the hell makes you think that you can just demand my ICANN key? Okay. It says, it says, uh, t- tell Abby to say
9: go ahead. That's not... That counts. The same thing that lets you demand a billion dollars for your worthless company. What? President... A few billion dollar deals make headlines, and that's what tech startups know is on the table. And I know companies will do anything to stop a data dump because a precedent was set by Kim jong Frickenun. <laughs> un Go ahead.
8: What? The Sony hack? There's no evidence that that was even North Korea. Why
10: do you want her key?
8: Go ahead.
9: Why do you keep talking
10: about her? Who cares who
9: did it? You gave a mouse a cookie, and now all the rats want their crumbs. In my case, I want your key. And the reason why is of no concern to you. Go ahead.
8: Didn't you say that key was just ceremonial? Yeah, it's ceremonial, and there's nothing that can be done with it without the help of six other people and a way through a hundred layers of security. But one of those layers of security is me not handing my goddamn key to a psychopath. And I take that role very seriously go the hell ahead you take the unpaid
9: role that makes you pay your own airfare more seriously than the one that's about to give you a 900 million dollar payout go ahead pick up that's the courier
8: no come in why oh, that that's not even how this works and and why why are you taking the lead from a blackmail scheme that didn't even work in the first place sony didn't even give in
2: so go do go you ahead. have a pickup or they did
9: give in then they reverse their position again when anonymous threatened them with another data dump. <laughs> Abby, who the Christ
10: cares about a movie studio?
8: Can we take this seriously? <laughs> I'm taking I'm sorry, I'm taking I'm taking this as seriously as this asshole deserves. This guy, he wants to play out his little movie fantasy, but that that's all it is. This is how it always begins. It begins with something small. You start things off with a demand that's very easy to follow like give me a key. Or, or maybe don't watch a James Franco movie. People don't watch a James Franco movie all the time. Hell, I'm not watching a James Franco movie right now, but whatever they were and whatever they wanted, those hackers, they're the bad guys. And you do not give in to the bad guys. And I, I would watch a goddamn James Franco DVD box set before I gave in to this ass jackal. I like James Franco. Of course you do. Oh, please. Sony
9: was hacking every one of us with the Sony rootkit before the tables got turned. Sometimes hackers are just the internet system of karma. Go ahead. Karma,
8: what did I ever do to you? Can't you just give him the key and then call I can and tell them to change the lot? I'm not. I'm like giving this dickbag my key just because he's threatening a data dump. That's not even. That's not even how the hack he's trying to copy goes. Sony didn't give in because of the data dump. They gave in because of the threats of violence. Is that where this is going? Go ahead. Spoilers, Abby.
9: Jeez, if you really want to speed things along, I guess I can jump ahead. I... Um... I... I think I should... I think I should disconnect this call.
8: No. No, no, no. Let this asshole say what he wants to say. He's afraid to even show his voice on a call. What? What is he gonna do? Is he gonna drive over to our office?
9: You, it's not going to judge our office. Do you, do you really want me to read this?
8: Go ahead, honey. Okay.
9: Um. The the customer says, I um. I have a button in in front of me that can stop your heart. Oh
8: shit! Go. What? Go ahead. Oh, are you gonna are you gonna hack into our hearts now? No, don't worry. I got this. Don't
9: not, worry. not Shh. your heart. Unless this is June, she's not typing who's saying what. But I'm gathering from the tone and the fact that you didn't say go ahead that this is Abby. I've already hacked the computer in June's heart. <laughs> June, you had your cardio defibrillator put in about five years ago and had it recalibrated multiple times since then. (laughs) Ever wonder why they never had to cut you open to do it? It works just like a wireless mouse. And there's about the same level of security keeping me from controlling it. Um, go ahead. What the hell? What the hell, man? Oh, shit. Go ahead and say what you're trying to say. Abby! I'm trying to say that if you don't hand the key to the courier, I'm going to send a 134-volt electric shock directly into June's right ventricle. That won't stop until her heart does. Go ahead. Go ahead. Abby! What a bitch! Oh, um, sorry, uh, that wasn't the customer. Uh, uh, the... They say, um, "Wow, did not see that coming. Damn, uh, it's all—it's not already bad enough that you get forty percent of the payout while June gets ten percent, but you're willing to let her get bumped off just to get that tiny but closer oh to half an almost billion that at this point is probably off the table anyway." Go ahead. Oh, go to hell. Abby, what the hell is wrong with you? He's full of shit. Now oh, you're paying a bitch. Yeah. Abby, why did you give June such a tiny percent of the company anyway? Oh I mean, I get that you coded the software and that she's the non-technical co-founder, but yeah. do you think yeah, that reason. any of what you have would be possible without her? Don't, exactly.
8: don't, Don't listen to him, June. He's just trying to turn us on one another. I'm not
9: making this up, these are June's own words. February 3rd, an email to her sister. I just woke up after my fifth all-nighter this week to an email from Hanlon. That bitch offered me a 10% stake. She was making 12 bucks a month on PayPal donations until I built her business plan and set her up with the investors I've spent a decade building relationships with. Go ahead.
8: Oh, thank you. Excuse me. I'm sorry that if you feel that your five nights of spreadsheets is worth more than ten million dollars. I was making nothing. Because I spent 18 hours a day creating a software worth building a fucking business plan around. You tried to get him to kill me! I was calling his bluff. He's not going to hack your heart monitor, Jude. Well, can he hack my heart monitor or not? I mean, well, yeah. Hypothetically, like, like if he was in the room... So he can hack my heart monitor. Do you see him in this room? What if it's that guy right there? It's not
10: that guy right there. Do you even do you see him typing? I'm just here to do a pickup. And you're okay with risking my life on calling his bluff. We don't even know what he can do yet. You already know he can hack into our entire network.
8: Wow. How do we know this? Because he showed us. Because he sent a message from your account? Wow. He has the same hacking skills as a middle schooler who writes I'm gay on his straight friend's Facebook wall. So tell me, June, are you still using webmail? What? I'm asking if you still use webmail because I don't see those messages anywhere in your outbox, and I can see that you've never logged into your workmail from outside the office. Why are you looking at my So tell me, tell me that you're not sending professional correspondence about our business from a damn Hotmail account. You can read my email? Of course I can read your email. I have an admin account. I can read any business email on the server. How long have you been reading my email? I haven't, but obviously I should have been because you need a fucking babysitter. Why are you sending these messages from... Hotmail? Hotmail, you want to say it? Hotmail? Yeah, I want to say it. What the hell does Hotmail have to do with any of this? Okay, what the hell? Mm Mm-hmm. That was very, very easy, my dear. I'm in your account. Your security question to reset your password is your mother's maiden name. Your mom's divorce and on Facebook, and that's pretty much free information for anybody. So
9: what? You two really need to slow it down and speak one at a time. This poor woman has to type all of this. The poor courier has a schedule to keep, and Newberry has probably long since hung up. Yeah. And I have all the time in the
2: world,
8: but you don't. Go ahead. What does this guy have, Jin? What What has he shown us that we can confirm we know he's been in your email? And with that, he can reset the password on Facebook and Twitter and Skype. He has our banking info! This is the same bike messenger we use every week. With your email account, he can log into the site and use the auto pay that you have already set up. He knows what
10: Newberry was going
8: to say. Which he probably made up. We haven't even talked to Newberry to confirm that everything he knows about our deal could be gleaned from the shit you've been chatting to your sister about. He has nothing on me, and you think that if he did, he'd be throwing it in our faces right about now. Um, s-
9: sorry to interrupt. Uh, they're saying, um, I know that you haven't slept together in three months.
8: Go what? ahead. You emailed your sister about that? Stop reading my email. Holy shit. You've got a busy schedule. I get
9: it. She's you have service to run, staff oh, to manage. Yeah. June has accounting meetings all day, and Abby has her two hours of yoga every morning. There's no way she could cut that down to create some time together. Go ahead. She's a downward dog.
8: Are you kidding? Are you... I told you when we started this company to stop using that account. Why do you even, I mean, I mean, come on. Hotmail? I mean, Gmail, I could understand, I guess. But but come on, are you are you a teenager in 2002? You're the co-founder of a software security company. But you're too stupid to set up your secure email at home or to properly secure the account that you already have? I never use company email for anything but in-office
10: emails. Oh, my God. I hate having to send out new address messages every time I change jobs.
8: Oh, I can see that you've been really committed to this company for the long haul, huh? Are you keeping your options open? We're selling the company! Never mind. You're just just
10: going to blame everything on me. And if it turns out this guy isn't bluffing, you're probably going to blame all that on me too. Yeah,
8: probably. This guy, he's just trying to pull us apart, and if you let him, you're going to screw up. The Newberry deal.
10: I've been screwed out of this deal from the start. And if you think I'm going to let you screw me out of what little Numbers I already get out of don't it... don't matter. Oh, yeah. What's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine, right? They sure seem to matter to you, even okay. though we haven't even talked about what will happen when you have to move back to that's the U.S.
9: Not, that's not... To run the
10: company for Newberry.
9: That's not... Sorry no. to interrupt again. He says, he says, Abby... Then why did you just put a down payment on a house in San Francisco? Holy
8: Go shit. ahead. How the hell did you know that? You what? Who in the hell are you? Before the deal even
10: went through... You're that ready to get out of here? I'm not just gonna
8: leave without you, June. If I'm co-running the company, I need to have a presence. price. But you don't need me. Oh, that's not. You know
10: exactly why I can't go to California. Oh my God! It wasn't even worth discussing with me. I, can't even I guess, this right yeah. Now. I guess I know my value now. You have some real commitment issues.
8: Commit? You can't even commit to an email address with my name on it. You tried to trade my life for your stupid key. Your tea. life is not in danger. How can you still believe this guy?
9: Sorry to interrupt his uh, his typing he uh, sorry they say i think it's fascinating you both assume i'm a man what? i'm not saying i'm not Is or that i really am sure right i just think it says something what the? doesn't really affect anything but i'd be careful about what assumptions you make about it... me specifically what i can and cannot do exactly. and thought... go ahead
8: I thought that you couldn't speak until we said go ahead.
9: Oh, you do not want to see everything I can do. Go ahead. I thought I knew you, Abby. June, you know where the key is, don't
8: you? Okay, lady, you can stop right now.
9: June, get the key. Just stop saying what he fucking tells you to say. By law, she has to say what I say to say, Abby.
8: I said shut up.
9: Don't shoot the messenger.
8: No, don't shoot the messenger. I can't wear in not Get the key, June. Okay. I I mean, it'll just be over. Get away from me! You're still listening to the psychopath? Are you you that much of an idiot? Stop calling me an idiot! Stop being an idiot! What the the hell is wrong with you? Get off of me! You're not giving him the key! Give it to me! You are not destroying my company! I built this company!
7: (laughs) Oh, Oh, shit! Oh,
10: shit! Oh, shit, oh, shit! Oh,
9: she hit her head! I have to call an ambulance. You know what happens if you hang up on me, June. Go ahead. I have to call. Happy is hurt. I have to call for help. Give him the key, June. Then this is all over. Go ahead. But she said you're lying. What if I'm not, June? Think about the conversation you just had, June. Do you really want to gamble your life on your ability to know when someone is lying to you? Here's the key. Sorry, I'm...
1: I'm getting the hell out of here.
9: It's... it's done. Go ahead. He says, uh, thank you. The customer has disconnected. I... i You... you know you had a cell phone, right?
5: With the criminal remaining anonymous, we're no closer to knowing who's behind this. Abby Hanlon is currently in the hospital, still unconscious. Which means we're grasping for answers. That's two of the seven keys to the internet that we know have fallen into the wrong hands. We've learned that it takes three to take control, but what do they plan to do with that control? What drives these criminals? What's their end game? We'll try to answer these questions in our next episode Motivation.
4: Uh, hey, excuse me, can I hang up now? Greg, are you still on the line? Yes, I'm still. You told me to hold on and then did a whole musical number and played a 15-minute crime story. Never mind. Sorry, Greg, we kind of forgot you were there. Thank you for calling Radio Shack. Please let me know if you, I mean,
2: goodbye.
0: We could play the broken telephone So our sadness in our hearts smells like an ice cream cone Cthulhu meets us out for beer so we won't feel alone The weather's too damn high on a crab home.
7: So the home action back so you won't feel
0: alone burning up And that was episode two of Big Data. Find out more and subscribe by pointing your browser to bigdata.show assuming the internet is still in one piece when you get there. I mean, presumably, if the internet were shut down, I'm not sure how you'd be receiving this podcast, so we're we're probably good. I had the pleasure of talking to Ryan Estrada, the writer, director, producer of Big Data. We talked about his directing style, his history in comics, and the parable of the paperclip. Have a listen. Ryan Estrada, uh, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. And thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. Before we start talking about Big Data, I want to talk to you about Broken Telephone, a comics project that you organized because that's where we first see Manisha, the relay line operator, where she first shows up as a major character in the Estradaverse. How did that project come about?
6: Well, it, it's uh, one of those things where, like, a lot of the things that I end up spending years of my life working on, like, start as a joke and then they just kind of spiral <laughs> out of control. And I had been working in an Indian call center uh, in Mumbai, uh, just kind of training people on, you know, Slaying and you know dealing with Americans and and the I was listening to someone's phone call and uh, someone got disconnected and I said oh do you call them back like oh no we have no way of calling them back and all of a sudden I asked so if you overheard a murder and I went into this whole thing and she just stared at me like I was a psychopath and another Mm -hmm. call came in and she started went into that like trying to avoid the creepy guy, and I just went back uh-huh. to my desk and wrote this entire storyline of someone overhearing a murder in <laughs> Indian call center, and uh, and then it just kind of spiraled and grew and got bigger and bigger for seven years, and then it became a big graphic novel, and that spun off into an audio drama, and so I've, I've spent years and years of my life uh, continuing the story of that creepy comment I made to a call center worker. So you grew up in the suburbs of Detroit, right? Mm-hmm. How did you end up in
0: Mumbai and now in Busan?
6: Well, I, I never really planned on traveling. My my whole life, I wanted to work in animation, and so I went to animation school. My plan was to go move to L.A., do the Disney thing, uh, become an animator there. And then the year I graduated from traditional animation school was the year that the entire animation industry got laid off,
1: oh, and no. like
6: the the people that had you know made the most famous films in history were all out of work. So I'm like, well, I got no chance. And so at uh, about 3 a.m., a friend of mine on Instant Messenger said, hey, have you heard about this thing in Korea where they buy you a plane ticket and buy you an apartment and uh, fly you out and pay you 2000 bucks a month to teach kids English that already speak English? And I'm like, no, but I'm going <laughs> to do it. And by 4 a.m., I had a job. And the next morning, I went to my mom's house and borrowed an atlas to see where Korea was. And then, uh, wow. yeah, and I just really enjoyed traveling so much that I just kind of kept going and kept finding new opportunities. And for a little over 10 years, I was living in a new country every year and just kind of like collecting stories and uh, having experiences and meeting people. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of settled more now in Korea, uh, back where I, I started my travels. Um, I'm married here. and But it was, uh, it was a nice adventure just going all over the world and seeing things other people don't get to see.
0: How did you get started making English language radio for EFM 90.5, Busan's English language news leader?
6: Uh, yeah, that was uh, – before I went there, I'd never really done anything with radio. Uh, but I, when I came to Busan, I started this challenge for myself called the Not My Jam Challenge, where <laughs> okay. uh, I decided that anytime I caught myself turning down an opportunity because it wasn't my thing, I had to do it. I know it's, it's not like the Jim Carrey wow, movie. Okay. Yes, man. Like I, I can turn things down because I can't afford it. Cause I'm morally opposed to it. Uh, you know, many reasons I can turn stuff down, but if it's solely, eh, I don't, I don't do that kind of thing. I have to do it. So, um, you know, I got invited to speak at an open mic. So I'm like, no, I don't want Okay, sure. I'll do it. And then from there I got invited to do Shakespeare. And from there, uh, someone there invited me to do a poetry slam and I kept doing these things and doing more and more performance. And then, uh, one of them, someone invited me to do a radio show. So I went there and did that. And uh, it, it was interesting. Like, And so within a couple of years, all of these things that I'd never had any interest in doing, because I grew up as a cartoonist. like That's always what I wanted mm-hmm. to do. And now I found for the last two years, I've been working on this massive project involving radio and Shakespearean actors and comedy and poetry and all these things that I thought were not my thing, but suddenly I'm devoting every waking moment to them
0: that's awesome so what did you end up doing uh, at 90.5 FM
6: uh, I did three different shows uh, just segments in uh, larger shows I did one uh, called um, uh, movie detective where I interviewed uh, people that had worked in film from like directors down to like the guy that uh, takes care of all the, the prop guns to like Foley people. Uh, I did another one called Here and There, which is is kind of the closest I got to doing audio drama because my job was, it was a travel show. Mm-hmm. But because Busan EFM is sponsored by the Busan city government, I was not allowed to talk about anything outside of the city of Busan. <laughs> so it's a travel show about not traveling. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there are some really, really cool things in Busan, but you do it every week and you're like, oh, here's another park. (laughs) You know, how can I make this one interesting? So I had to start like staging things and like acting out stories and uh, or or sometimes they'd send me to like cover the new zoo. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to pay seven dollars to go into the new zoo. So I'd fake it. (laughs) And I go like. I go interview kids and say, "Have you ever been to a zoo?" And they'd tell me about the zoo that they went to, and then I'd chop it up so it sounded like they were in a zoo, and then I add animal sounds behind it. So I, 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 I was kind of creating audio drama behind my boss's back.
0: Wasn't there some kind of rule about not mentioning Japanese names or words or products on the show?
6: Yeah, there's a a, a law in Korea uh, that was set like back you know a long time ago. Um, Japan had colonized Korea and forced everyone to speak Japanese. So like as Mm -hmm. kind of to swing the pendulum back the other way, they set a rule that you cannot speak any Japanese on uh, uh, any TV or radio broadcast. Yeah, there were a lot of weird rules. The other one was that you could not say any brand name. And that was really hard to... There's a lot of like, like the news reporters, especially when they're covering a big story, they'll have to like really speak their way like take they'll have to add like an extra three minutes to the segment because they have to be like a particular computer brand that starts Mm -hmm. with a and has a fruit on it like you getting it you know what i'm talking about like that's just say just say apple
0: that's so weird that's like that's like if if every news organization operated under the same rules as judge john hodgman Like, you couldn't get away with buzz marketing.
6: Yeah, it's it's just because it is a government organization. It's uh, sponsored by the government, and they just don't want to, like, get in any trouble. that People think that the government is sponsoring this company. Um, Sure. So there's there's a lot of weird... The weirdest, though, definitely was that you can't talk about anything outside of Busan on the travel show.
0: (laughs) How did you decide you wanted to make the leap from comics to audio fiction?
6: Uh, You know, I just... Mostly the reason I did it is because I wanted a project that I could do with all of the friends that I'd built doing all these new things. A lot of my friends direct things here, like direct stage performances. And I I thought about doing that, but I wanted to do something I'd share with other people. So I thought, you know, this will be a fun thing I can do to get my friends together and, you know, just do something this month in between uh, projects. I thought it was going to be a thing I was going to do in like four weeks. And then it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger (laughs) and uh, became this massive thing. How has writing comics prepared you for audio fiction? Uh, I think just any kind of writing, um, just the more you do of it, the better you get at it, the better you get at kind of avoiding cliches and um, finding new ways to look at things. And uh, yeah, I think the more different types of writing that you do, especially – give you different ways of looking at things because it wasn't just comics like the a lot of comics i did recently about my adventures um Mm -hmm. to kind of workshop the stories uh as i mentioned i was doing all these open mics so i would try telling these stories at all these different events and it was really interesting seeing how different audiences reacted to them differently um you know i would tell the story at uh like a literary open mic, and people would be laughing hysterically. So they'd be like, oh, I should try that at the comedy open mic. And nobody would laugh at all because there's a different set of expectations. People want set up punchline, set up punchline, whereas my stories would build up to to a situation and then there'd be a punchline much later. Um, So I think, you know, and then when I adapted it to comics, it was a whole different thing, different rules. So trying all these different things kind of taught me how to think about my audience and their expectations and what they're going into it with and uh, kind of think about how the telling of the story, even if the details are the same, how you approach it can affect how the audience reacts.
0: What's something you can
6: do with
0: audio that uh, comics can't
6: do? For me, the biggest thing was improv. Um, being able to like have my character surprise me in ways that I can't do in comics because when I'm drawing a comic, I control every aspect. And but when I'm handing it over to an actor, they do things that I'm like, oh I never thought the character would go there. They'd go off on like a five minute tangent, uh, improvising things that like ended up changing the story. Uh, and so I think it's a lot more collaborative especially you know i I have worked on like broken telephone was a big collaborative project where i got a bunch of Mm -hmm. artists together but still uh when you do audio it's it's interesting in that you in one way you relinquish a lot of control because you know there's so many people involved with you know the actors are doing their own thing but also you gain a lot of control over other mediums because like one thing i was telling my actors that like you know if we were shooting a movie uh I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to edit as much because like you have to worry about you know in this shot he's standing at this part of the room and there he's standing at that sure. part of the room his head is turning this way but in you know in here I can literally take the first half of an improv sentence and then cut it and then jump into the scripted bit to kind of make a Frankenstein of the two in ways that you couldn't in other mediums so it's it adds a lot that other mediums can't do. Uh, And I love the idea that I can let the audience also be a collaborator because, you know, if I'm trying to make something shocking or scary in a comic, I have to think of what is the scariest thing that I can think of and I have to draw it. Uh, Whereas in audio, uh, you know, as I'm sure many people have mentioned, you know, the audience is feeling, you know, if you, picture something scary, they're going to picture the scariest thing that they can think of, which is much more effective. Or, you know, a, a comedy scene even, like the pratfall they imagine is going to be much funnier than the one I could draw because they're kind of doing their own wish fulfillment of what would I like to see in this moment.
0: Conversely, what storytelling techniques aren't available to you
6: in audio? I think just uh, anything visual is, uh, at first it was a challenge trying to figure out how to um, show the audience things that are mostly visual uh, in it because, you know, I mean, I, I, there's a lot, you know, big data has this giant cast and most of it is because every character needed someone they could talk to because they Mm -hmm. needed to (laughs) like, and a lot of people talking over the phones because I needed them to describe visually what's happening to someone else. And, you know, they wouldn't, if they're standing next to someone, they wouldn't say, oh, look at the color of that thing, you know, because they, the other person can see it too. So I had to really write my way around giving people a reason to describe what they're seeing and where they're going. Uh, whereas in a comic, it would be, you know, I just draw a dude standing in front of a bathhouse and you get that he's going into a bathhouse. Whereas right. in, in like the none audio of that dra- would have to be said. Yeah. In the audio drama, there's like a whole 5 minute sequence of them explaining what a bathhouse is and you know but i you know it, it was fun trying to include that but not make it just this is where i am this is where i'm going and include it in dialogue that's hopefully funny and a lot of banter and tells things about the characters as well so it's a, it's a an interesting challenge I, I wouldn't say it's something that i that i can't do but something that makes it more interesting
0: So you posted five years of your finances a couple of years ago, and you wrote at the time, uh, quote, people always assume I'm rich because I travel a lot, but actually I travel to places where I can live cheap. I would be destitute in the US, but in most places I travel, I live like a king. Uh, How does a cartoonist make money?
6: Uh, Well, I mean, the thing about cartooning is very similar to any kind of independent uh, creative things I've seen online. No two people that are successful at it that I've seen have done it the same way. Uh, and it really depends on your work and your audience, the way that's best to do it. Uh, you know, some people make money, uh, selling t-shirts, uh, or merchandise, which really didn't work for me because my, I kind of have this project ADD where I'm always working on completely different things. And like when people buy merchandise, it's because they're interested in a character, whereas I'm like doing something okay, I'm done with that character. Let's do something else. Other people do ads, uh, which is great if you do a daily comic. Some people, uh, have subscriptions. Um, for me, mostly when I made money, it was through doing commission work. Uh, and I would do like, uh, custom comics a lot for, uh, Mm -hmm. like weddings. People would have me illustrate how they got together and they'd Handed out well. as wedding favors or like companies would have me do comics about their, their products. I did ones for like, uh, senators and rock stars and stuff. And
1: oh, that's, wow. that's
6: mostly where I, I made my money is doing commission work. Um, but it, it I, I kind of needed to step back from that to, uh, you know, I, I, I was spending so much time on those. I wasn't making my own creative work I was interested in. So that's kind of why I, uh, I got to the point where I could make a decent living at it, but I stopped enjoying it. So I went back to being super poor and making things that I enjoyed making.
0: Nice. So you had a $7,500 budget to make big data and you raised money on Kickstarter just to make back your costs. Um, I'm curious, how did you raise the original money? And if you're comfortable breaking it down, where did most of that money go during the production?
6: Well, the uh, I mean, initially I just kind of like, spent my own money and drained my bank account and just hoped that I'd make it back on Kickstarter. Um, And I, yeah, I I did make it back and then, uh, but then I went crazy and just kept spending money after the Kickstarter was over. So I'm, I'm still a little bit in the hole, but um, yeah, I mean, most of it, uh, you know, a lot of it went toward uh, renting the studio. Um, When I first started, I was just going to be do the whole thing with my blue Yeti microphone. Uh, And then, the day, we were, the day before we were supposed to record the first one, my mic stopped working. And so as an emergency measure, I went uh, and rented the studio, uh, Underground Track's best guy, Shane Cole, this uh, Canadian guy that lives in Korea. And we recorded there and I realized how much better the sound was. And I'm like, well, I guess I just tripled my budget because I'm going to be here all the time. So we did everything there. And then, uh, you know, I made sure that I paid every single actor um, mm-hmm. and uh you know some of it went to, toward guest stars some of it went toward uh actors some of it went toward buying pizza for long uh, uh recording days and uh you know music licensing all that stuff
0: did you i mean did you pay yourself at all or no
6: oh god no <laughs> i i got paid a lot of a lot of negative dollars <laughs> Something
0: I appreciate about big data is the obvious hustle that it took to assemble. Like not only did you manage to snag Paul F. Tompkins and Felicia Day, but you stretched their brief recording sessions into these season long supporting roles.
2: How did you
0: do that? How did you get those actors in the first place?
6: Well, uh, I mean, the the thing about getting actors in it, it, I learned a lot about this. This is another thing I learned from comics because I did a lot of collaborations mm-hmm. where I worked with like big name writers and it, it's kind of like the shell game. Like you got to figure out uh, how to work your way up. It's like that, uh you know, that guy that traded the paperclip, the red paperclip all the way up to a house. He had uh he had this challenge where he had a red paperclip and he like traded it for like a piece of paper and he traded that piece of paper for something else. And the, every, every time it was slightly bigger and it took him a few years until he got a house. It's kinda of like that where for you need something to show that you are uh serious and it's something worth their their time. So you need a name first that you can name drop. So like uh uh, you know, it, with with comics it was always easier to get that first name because I, I know a lot of people in comics, I've been doing it for a long time, but I was I was very new at uh directing. So the first name I got was uh Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: Uh who, uh, t- Jermaine is from Flight of the Concords, Taika is uh, the guy who's directing the new Thor movie, and he's directed a lot of other great movies. That's how I got them to be in the show, because, you know, they're, it's very difficult to contact them directly, but they were doing a Kickstarter for that movie, and so I was able to contact them through that. And one of their tiers was that they will record an audio thank you for uh, pledging, which is a completely different thing from recording for a show, but I, I contacted them, I sucked up with some fan art, and then I said, hey, if you're going to record anyway, what if I pledge your Kickstarter, uh, and then you record the opening narration to my show? And they said that they would do it. Uh, so I I got them to do that, and from then I was able to go to other people and say, I'm doing the show, uh, Jermaine Clement is doing the opening narration, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know... It, I tried a lot of things. A lot of people I just contacted through Twitter. Um, a lot of, you know, I tried to go through a lot of agents. It's, it was very difficult to go through agents because, as soon as they hear podcasts, they just completely lose interest, um, right? And just don't pass anything along. But you know, the, but like I said, it's all about trading up. So I did go through an agent. I got Paul F. Tompkins, and from there I was able to say, you know, I'm doing a show with Jermaine and Paul F. Tompkins, and just kind of you know, figure out who, who I can get and who would, uh, who that would lead me to be able to get. And it just kind of kept spiraling. There are other things like, uh, you know, another actor we have, uh, is Amy Stock who played, uh, Mm -hmm. Missy slash mom in the Bill and Ted movies. And I got her because, you know, I, apparently she's very good friends with the host of the show.
0: Oh, she's friends with Deanne.
6: Yeah. Deanne. And I was trying to figure out who would be good to play Deanne's mom? And then <laughs> Deanne's like, "Oh, I know the mom from the Bill and Ted movies." I'm like, "Oh, well, let's get her to play your mom." Uh, yeah, and and once I got enough names, it was very easy just to send someone tw- someone a Twitter message like Sam Levine. I just sent a Twitter message says, "Hey, you want to be on my show?" Uh, and he's like, "Yeah, sure." So we we set it up. So yeah, it's it's all about that shell game. You got to get it, it's very difficult. You got to find some sneaky way to get the first name, and then that helps wow. you get the second, and then. Two, can you can move to to someone a little bigger and trade your way up from a paperclip to a house?
0: How long in advance did you write the script?
6: I spent a year and a half writing the script before uh, I brought in any actors, and then a lot of it it just kept changing as uh, as actors uh, came in and recorded, and we we did imp- improv and that kind of changed things. And I I did a lot of rewriting after I cast because I wanted to make the characters kind of fit with the actors and and what they were good at. Um, So it was kind of a constant process. But the interesting thing about the writing is that um, as we recorded, I I kept pushing the actors to improvise more and more. And even though I spent a year and a half on the scripts, in the end product, I don't think there's a single line in the whole series that's as it was scripted.
0: Uh, Tell me about your directing process, because you'd previously said – Uh, that you let the actors do a couple of takes on book and then you take the script away and you let them swim for it. Is that an accurate assessment of what the, what your technique is like?
6: Yeah, I, I actually told all my actors, I didn't want them to memorize the scripts because I told them we're going to, uh, we're going to always be looking at the scripts. You don't have to memorize, you know, be comfortable with it so that you know, uh, you know, what the beats are and how you should be reacting, but you're always going to have the script. And then once we get in the studio, I'm like, I lied! I'm taking away your scripts! Because uh, what, what we always did was, we did uh, about four takes of each scene. The first was always the garbage take that I called it, because I never use any of it, because they're just getting in the studio, they're just getting warmed up. But I have them run through the script. And then the second take is the uh, the extreme take, where... Uh, Like to get once again to get their, get them warmed up. I'll be like, okay, your biggest emotion in the scene is fear. Yours is anger. So I want you to start the scene at the angriest you were, and I want you to start the scene at the most afraid you were, and then like have a contest, see who can get the most extreme by the time your character is actually that angry. Uh, And that kind of gets them away from like sounding wooden. Like it kind of warms them up into fluctuating their their emotion and then uh for the third take is where i do the improv and i'm like okay you've just run through it twice i'm taking away your scripts i lied to you uh just go for it because i already have the i already have it as scripted and i have those lines i can plug in uh but i just want to see kind of how they react and it, it just sounds so much more natural when someone's genuinely searching for the words than when they're either remembering them or reading them so uh in a Sometimes you know i I would kind of Frankenstein together like even the beginning of a sentence like if there's, I, I like I love I have a whole like um timeline of just those of just people going, oh my God, or stuff like that because it it's if I just take that and put it at the beginning of a scripted line, it makes it sound like it's not scripted, just that little extra mm-hmm. bit, or just the way that they word it sounds much more natural than it's written on the page. Or sometimes I would realize in the improv that, like, oh, these actors don't understand the scene because mm-hmm. they're in the improv; they're explaining something completely different. So then I'd realize this is a problem with the script, and then we'd together discuss a way to make it make more sense. Um, and then sometimes they just go off on ten-minute tangents that have nothing to do with the scene that make it funny and build something to the character. Uh, and then after we do that improv take, I give them back their scripts and I say, okay. You've done three takes with my direction. Now, this is your take. However you want to do it, you have your script. You can look at it. If you want to not look at it, you can not look at it. Ignore every note I ever gave you. Go for it. And then that take is usually the one that I use. That's okay. like I just pop that in the timeline, and then from that I add in bits from the other takes. And uh, But really I want to trust the actor. Once the actor has heard my feedback, taken it in, and practiced it, I want them to be fe- feel free to completely ignore it and then uh, do their own version and trust it.
0: What are some weaknesses of that approach that you've discovered? I
6: don't know. I kind of loved it. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, uh, I, you know, I had enough from every take that if they're, you know, some people weren't as good at, at the improv, but that was fine because I, I had the other one to fall back on and uh, put, put in, I would put in their responses from the scripted take and, and, uh, Maybe the other actor in the scene was better at improv, so I take their questions from the improv scenes. Um, But yeah, like any drawback it had, uh, there was something to fall back on. So I kind of, I'm going to keep using that technique, which I kind of just stumbled in, in on from not knowing how to direct. But it it worked for me.
0: Do you think if you're going to be using a lot of the same cast, now that they know that you're going to pull that trick on them, do you think they're going to memorize their lines and will that change the effect of making them swim for it
6: um yeah i imagine there will be less of like the searching for words bit but they still i think everyone really enjoyed the improv bits um the the thing that might change is that they were willing to go really weird with the improv bits because they expected i would never use them and then we listen to the show. Like, you actually put that in there? I'm like, yeah, it was great. <laughs> so they 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 might be more self conscious when they're doing the uh, the improv bits. But um, you know, I, i've d- yeah. I've I've done secondary recordings with the actors since then, and it it's still it's still been great.
0: What's What's something really wonderful that emerged from this improv style that would not have been in the scripted series?
6: Uh, well, in episode one. We have, uh, there's like this big chase scene, and um, the idea of it is that there's this cop that is teasing this guy for being into, into video games, and then the, the cop has to narrate this fight scene from a helicopter view, and he basically turns into a Korean shoutcaster and is narrating it like a video game. And in the, ori- in the original script, that character had like six lines, uh, like and that's it. And I, it was very difficult finding an actor and I, I, I thought I was going to have to cut it. But then I, I found this actor named Paul King, who uh, is another podcaster and I went to his house and we just recorded for three hours and improvised so much that now like it added 10 extra minutes to the, the episode um, because he just, he like got so into it and was like adding all this banter with the character that like had already been recorded uh. And with, he kept introducing new characters, like, to talk, to, made this whole relationship with his, his wife and, mm-hmm. uh, like, introduced this secondary cop that he was talking to that I then had to cast an actor to play that. Um, and so this whole character, and that character ended up returning later in the series that would not have existed if he had just read those 16 lines.
0: What's the most trouble you've ever been in?
6: In my, in my life or in uh, making mm-hmm. a podcast? In your life? Uh, well, I've uh, been in a lot of trouble. I was almost eaten by lions once by wandering illegally in the Masai Mara. Uh, I was uh, caught in a coca war once where uh, I got kicked out of a taxi because there was a big war going on between uh, uh, coca farmers and the, the police and had to walk through like a war zone. I've had in to sleep Colombia? on a park bench in a typhoon. Uh, that was in uh Peru okay yeah um slept on a bench in a typhoon two different times uh, mm-hmm. I tried to kayak across an ocean once between two islands and almost drowned. I've been in a lot of trouble. I just uh when when I was <laughs> traveling my whole thing was you know I, I never did any planning in advance. I didn't want to know anything I want to discover things when I got there and that that kind of led me in a lot of trouble, but I enjoyed all of it because I ended up making comics and stories about it.
0: What's the most illegal thing you've ever done that you can admit to having done on air?
6: I did hack my way through Citibank's uh, servers, um, their firewall. I when I when I worked at uh, Citibank, <laughs> the call center that I mentioned, um, in that, Mumbai, yeah, in Mumbai, um, I figured out that you know all the computers were blocked, so you couldn't access the internet. Of course, because every computer there has the social security number of every single person that's ever used any city product. And uh, but I was really bored at work, <laughs> and um, and I figured someone figured out that when they set up the firewall, they didn't uh, you know, they still need access to the Citibank websites, of course, because that's how they do their work. But instead of whitelisting the actual sites that they needed, they just set it up so that any website that started with the letter C I T I could get through. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so it started off like. People would just go to, like, there was a City FM website where you could do, like, play Flash games on this, like, random uh, AM radio stations uh, uh, website, and people would do that. And then I just registered com, and then whatever comics I wanted to read or, like, podcasts I wanted to listen to that day, I would just upload them to that server <laughs> That's and, then, amazing. and then later when I left, I had a, a girlfriend at the time that was still working there and I set up like this communication system for us where she, we could message each other at city.ryanstrada.com and hypothetically at any point she could have copy-pasted every single social security number uh, and, and sent it to me and we could have pulled off the biggest bank heist in history. But we didn't. We just, I just read comics and flirted with a girl. That ended up being a plot line in Broken Telephone uh, that led to them hacking through uh, the call center's servers to get to S- Speak 1098 website to give them information. And then that became the spinoff where uh, that's the uh, place where the main character works in Big Data.
0: Big Data is a show about the internet that contains very little computer hacking, but a lot of people hacking. How did you come to have such an intimate knowledge of ways to manipulate people?
6: My goal was I, I wanted to make a show about hacking, but I didn't want it to be about people sitting at keyboards. Because like, that just seemed like not that interesting to me. And those keys were a way to make it about the real world and kind of use that as a metaphor for all of it. And um, a lot of it is just kind of, A lot of research. I did a lot of research into social engineering and uh, penetration testing. Uh, um, Watched a lot of like uh, talks on YouTube about about those things, and then a lot of it is just having traveled around the world so much and met so many people and had so many experiences. Like just knowing things that have tricked me, uh, Mm -hmm. things that I've I've realized that I misunderstood because of a certain reason or ways I'd gotten into trouble because of a misunderstanding and kind of applying those to like, what if someone wanted to weaponize that? Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's uh, just kind of an amalgamation of all the the weird experiences that I've had and then doing research into why did that happen.
0: What's the thing that you looked up that could get you in the most trouble with the law?
6: Yeah, between uh broken telephone and big data like i am sure i am on every single list uh <laughs> that the nsa had like especially for um like broken telephone i was literally googling uh can a 3d printed weapon get through you know the airport security or like how you know all these things that i'm searching and i all throughout the production of both things like every month i literally Email myself a message that says, "Dear NSA, if you are reading my emails, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Here's a, a link to the script. Oh my God, Here, here's the first episode. If you want to give me feedback, like, <laughs> but yeah, like I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hack the internet. I'm not gonna break into any government buildings. Mm-hmm. I swear. And uh, they haven't answered yet, so uh, oh, that's good. I guess they, they hopefully they get." That uh that I'm I'm a writer. I'm sure there's a lot of writers out there that have messed up search history, but Sure. Yeah.
0: Do you have favorite like heist and con artist movies or TV shows?
6: One of my favorites is a Korean movie that no one has ever heard of. Um in Korea. Uh it's it's called uh Kira. Their English name is Breakout. Okay. and it's kind of like it's about someone hijacking a train. And it's like the um, under siege, like Die Hard style movie where like someone has hijacked the train and there's only one man that can stop them. Except the only reason that dude wants to stop them is because uh, the gangster stole his lighter. He (laughs) He spent his last 50 cents to buy a lighter so that he could smoke about how crappy his life was. And then that guy accidentally picked up his lighter in the bathroom. And then it's just the whole movie is just about him trying to get his lighter back and it's i love this movie because it they create such high stakes over the stupidest thing and like every single character is motivated by a thing no one else cares about and that was kind of a big inspiration for this show like i wanted everyone's personal stakes to be so stupid but try and make <laughs> a way for people to care about it like i i'm i'm, I'm very yeah. disinterested in like the you know I want to save the world and I have all the skills to do it, or I want to steal a billion dollars and I'm the perfect man to do it. Like I like the story that, you know, there's some stupid thing that I want that no one else cares about and I have none of the skills to do it, but I'm going to try anyway. And that's kind of, that's kind of like every single episode of big data is someone that mm-hmm. should not be there trying to do something that they absolutely have, do not have the skills to do. So, Ryan,
0: you've very quickly developed a reputation in the audio drama community as a man who will do pretty much anything for a sound effect. You elbowed your way through a crowded commuter train in Busan. You brought a sound recorder into a bathhouse full of naked people. Um, you brained yourself in the face with a printer. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to add to that list?
6: Well, uh, I don't know. I got some other episodes coming up. We'll we'll see. Yeah, it, it was really interesting, like... You know, in later episodes, I started using a lot more existing sound effects, but I learned to kind of like use them where they were needed. Like, you know, if it's funny how like if I needed the sound of a door opening, I'd be like, "But the door is all the way over there." I'd have to (laughs) unplug my computer and move, and Mm -hmm. so like I won't do that. But then I'm like, I really need the sound of a printer hitting a head, (laughs) and just (laughs) then. 20 minutes throwing a printer full force into my head cuz it makes the best story and it and it really does like it's a sound effect that doesn't exist you know you go to org, you're not going to find a dude braining himself with a a printer
0: are you at liberty to to say anything about big data 2
6: <sighs> i'm trying to think of how i can explain it without spoiling the end of big data but uh sure. yeah the it, it's kind of if season 1 was uh kind of a weird take on heist stories. Uh, Season two is going to be more like the Odyssey. It's going to be worldwide travels and kind of mystery and adventure in the style of like uh, um, from Greek mythology to uh, like Jules Verne, that kind of adventure story. Um, Because like just researching like places in the world where data is kept, uh, you know, I've, I've been reading about data centers like... Deep in caverns beneath the earth, uh, in pods at the bottom of the ocean, uh, oh in God. illegal islands where they host like uh, stuff that uh, is too illegal to be uh, housed on any server run by any government. And so, uh, yeah, the, it's it's really interesting how like every single one of those things allows me to do basically like twenty thousand leagues under the sea or journey to the mysterious island, uh, but about Nerdy tech stuff.
0: So, you were saying at the beginning of the interview, just before you started to record, your Blue Yeti broke. Uh, can you tell me the story of international recording sensation Broke Yeti?
6: Oh, yeah. There's. Uh... So, I was recording once when I was working for Busan EFM uh, an introduction to an episode, and I didn't know it at the time, but some cable had become loose on my microphone. And when I went back and listened, it had turned everything I spoke into this uh, weird techno track. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I kind of used that music in my show um, and said it was by the band Broke Yeti because it, it was by my broken blue Yeti. Uh, and I've now uploaded it onto uh, Freesound so that uh, hopefully it will will spread and really, really confuse people as they one day wonder, who is this weird band, Broke Yeti, that does this really experimental synth music?
0: Are you going to, for season two of Big Data, continue the broken telephone theme?
6: Yeah, the broken telephone thing is something that was already produced by a guy named named, uh, Peter Tchaikovsky, who records music as a rock paper cynic and it was funny because Mm -hmm. he was inspired he told me he was inspired to do it by broken telephone the book uh that gave him the idea and what he did is he recorded a song a one-minute song and then uh asked another band to listen to it once and then record a cover and then had a whole chain of people do that and so we were both working independently on these two projects that were both inspired by broken telephone uh, and then after I finished writing Big Data, he let me listen to it. And I'm like, this this exactly fits with my show. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Like it was the exact right number of songs to go to uh, intro each segment. And then uh, like it was weird how it started to describe different uh, things that had happened in the series and like react emotionally to things that had happened in the series. Uh, so I I really... You know, I, first of all, I wouldn't be able to afford to uh, commission a continuation of that. And secondly, I'd, like it's this weird lightning in a bottle that I think uh, uh, it's just his talent that pulled it all together that I, I don't know would necessarily work as perfectly the next time. You know, one of the biggest things I tried to do with uh, big data is I you know, it was my first thing. I knew I was going all out, so I just wanted to be as experimental as possible. Like, I didn't want to play it safe yet. Like, I wanted to make exactly the show that I wanted to hear. So, uh you know, I, I took all the the best things I like about different podcasts and try to mash them together. Like I I tried to do the storytelling of like an audio drama, but also like I love like the get, getting really nerdy into um into like deep uh research that like you know you see in like Radio Lab. Um or shows like that, and I also love like the improv improvisational nature of like conversation shows, like just people talking about pop culture or uh, shows like that. So I tried to, kind of tried to mash all three of those styles together into like one show. And I, I you know, I it is kind of intimidating for some people because there is a lot of information in any given episode of Big Data, uh, mm-hmm. and I that was intentional because it's about a big data dump and someone trying to sift through uh all of this information so my theme was always too much information and i wanted people to feel <laughs> like they're part of the investigation they're digging through the you know i can't make it interactive in that like you know they're not searching for what clips to play and like searching like where's waldo for clues but i wanted it to feel to them like they have this tre- treasure trove of information they don't know what to believe they don't know what's important and i wanted the audience to feel like they're investigating by listening and kind of you know Maybe the characters are going to go on a tangent for five minutes about, you know, someone's balls hanging out. Or maybe they're going to talk (laughs) about, uh, you know, a a magician that they like. But uh, it always ties somehow into what's going on and uh, why it's happening. And uh, I, I, I wanted to kind of be interactive without the person making the choices in some way. So there's... Yeah, too much information was my mantra.
0: Well, Ryan, I'm so glad that you have joined our community. It's all the better for it.
6: It's a a great community to be in.
0: Ryan Estrada, thank you for coming on Radio Drama Revival. Thanks for having me. Thank you again, Ryan, for taking the time. And thank you, gentle listener, for sticking with us for a friggin' decade. This is going out on January 21st, 2017. As this podcast is going out, I'm going to be on the street in San Jose. Fred's in Washington before he and his family head out for Belize. If you are feeling crappy and downtrodden, I want you to know that this is a podcast for you. I want to be there for you when you're feeling miserable. I pledge to make this podcast queerer, browner, and womanlier than ever in this newfound age of Trump to broadcast the creative voices that must be heard. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I want you to ask yourself why that is. Thank you for listening to Radio Drama Revival. Thank you for 10 marvelous years. Here's the ten more. Let's get going with the credits. The music you're listening to is from Oakland's own DJ Stranger Danger. It's called Danger Did You Do, and you can find his music on SoundCloud. Our producers are Eli McElveen and Matthew Boudreau. Eli is such a talented hacker that they won't let him on the TTC anymore, because he kept on rerouting the trains of Toronto to always run express right to his stuff. Matt did the same thing in Buffalo, but with giant eagles instead of trains. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreaux. Heather once built a robot butler out of Lego bricks and programmed it to be her manservant. He's due for a firmware upgrade, but he makes a really lovely pot of tea. Monique is more of a social hacker and has convinced several members of the Holy See in the Vatican that she is, in fact, the Pope. The young Pope? The youngest Pope? I'm sorry. Our executive producer, the mastermind himself, is Fred Greenhalgh. He lives behind a shadowy web of mystery. Who knows what he might do next? I'm your scratchy-voiced host, David Rymstrom. This has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. Thanks for listening.